Amen? Amen. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. This was submitted by the homiletics class, which is the preaching class, of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. It's entitled, Four False Facts. Four False Facts. False fact number one. Books write themselves without the need of an author. False fact number two. Cars build themselves without the need of a manufacturer. False fact number three. Music composes itself into beautiful harmonies without the need of a composer. Now, any kindergarten student could testify to the fact that the above three statements have as much truth to them as the flat earth theory. However, there are countless university lecturers and professors that are paid big dollars to promote false fact number four. The whole universe came into being through a process of random chance and beneficial mutations without any need of a designer. Evidently, fact or false fact number four is on the same level as all the previously mentioned facts. The true fact of the matter is that evolution is just a big fairy tale for grown-ups. Any child has no problem believing in an all-powerful God. And believing that God could take nothing and make everything, any child can believe that. That's why Jesus said that those that come to him must come as a little child. The faith of a little child. You see, sometimes we grow up and our intellect gets in the way of our faith. Now, last Sunday, I gave you this truth, which is out of the Word of God, that the one true God is the one and only creator of all that is. And I shared with you that there is a foundational principle that you and I must accept or that anyone must accept before they can believe that God is the creator of all that is. And this fundamental uh, principle is found in the opening verse of the Bible and the closing chapter of the Bible, Genesis and Revelation and everywhere in between. And that truth is that the one true God is, that is, he is pre and self-existent. In other words, he didn't have to be created. He is self-existent. He didn't come to be. He always was. He is and he always will be. Now, if a person cannot accept that truth, that's why they have trouble believing in creation by the one true God. That's why they accept the lie of evolution. The one true God is the beginning. He's the end and he's everything in between. Now, this morning, I want to share some, add to that truth, some other truth this morning. First of all, that the one triune God is responsible for all creation. That is, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We see that in the opening chapter of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Fast forward to verse 26, and it says, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 
And again, you notice the capitalization of the word our and us, and that's in reference to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I read for you last week in the Gospel of John about Jesus Christ. Remember, John called him the Word, capital W. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And it says in verse 3, all things were made through him. Through who? Jesus. All things were made through Jesus. And without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Colossians, Paul affirms the fact that Jesus was a participant in salvation. I mean in, well, yes, salvation, but in creation. For he says in Colossians 1.16, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So these verses that we just read indicate and show the truth that the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all participated as the one true God in creation. Neither one of them, of those persons, had to be created God created the heavens and the earth. There's but one God. We don't have three gods. We have one God. We have one God who the Bible says exists in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You say, preacher, why don't you preach on that? Why don't you teach that? Why don't you explain that? If I could explain the Trinity, then I could explain I could be God. Why do I have to have an explanation for God. How can a finite mind explain an infinite God? I just have to believe it. The Bible teaches it. That's enough for me. I believe it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So you see, you have to accept the fact that the three persons of the Trinity, the one true God, triune God, was pre-existent, self-existent, before you can believe he created all that is. And that's the problem that we're faced with today. What we believe is an affront and an offense to our culture. Because they cannot accept that there's one true God who was self-existent and pre-existent before time. And that he created all that is. But you and I, we believe that. I hope you do. So, what does, God, what does the Bible say about God's responsibility and participation or involvement in creation. Well, let's look at the scriptures. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, the phrase, then God said, for example, verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and what? There was light. So, that phrase, then God said, appears nine times in the opening chapter of the Bible. God said it. It happened. God said it. It happened. God said it. It happened. So it was created at his command, at his voice. The phrase God called appears five times in that chapter. For example, verse um, five, God called the light day. You know, God created light on the first day. And he created light before he created the sun. Figure that one out. Guess what? You won't. 
I'm going to show you how you have to accept it in just a moment. And if you could explain it, you would be one of the persons of the Trinity. And guess what? You ain't. And neither is I. So I don't have to explain it. I accept it. God called the light day. Five times the, word, the phrase called. Other actions attributed to God in the first chapter of the Bible. God divided. God made. God saw. God set. God created. God blessed. Seven other verbs or six other verbs attributed to God on the, day of on the days of creation. Psalm 33, 6, 8, and 9 say this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. How was the world formed? How was the earth created? At the word of God. At the command of the commander. Now the Bible says in Hebrews 11.3, and we're going to spend some time dissecting this verse this week and next week. Hebrews 11.3. We're going to look at the first part of it. And this is how we accept this. What is the first two words of that verse? By faith, we understand not by science, by faith. It doesn't have to be proved by science, but by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Now we're going to look at that phrase. We're going to dissect it piece by piece. And I know many of you think I'm backwards, so we're going to look at it backwards. We're going to look at it from the last phrase first, and we're going to work our way backwards through that verse. We're talking about how was the world created? By the Word of God. The Word, the utterance, the saying, the voice of the Lord commands power, commands all things to be. He speaks, and it is done. Jesus spoke to the storm, Peace, be still, and the sea became as glass. The disciples marveled that he had such command even over the winds and the waves because he created them. The voice of the Lord is awesome and powerful. You know, if you heard the voice of the Lord, you would be scared to death. In fact, everybody that heard the voice of the Lord in the Bible or even the voice of an angel became as dead men. In fact, in, in Deuteronomy, we read about the children of Israel. They were the only people at that time who had heard the physical voice of the Lord. And it scared them. And they even begged God, God, don't speak to us again, because if you do, we'll probably die. And they said, Moses, you go listen to God, and then you come tell us what he said. That's Deuteronomy, if you want to look that, that account up. That's how frightened they were of the voice of the Lord. Job, in chapter 37, says God's voice is glorious in thunder. We can't even imagine the greatness of his power. The psalmist wrote in chapter 18, verse 13, The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded amidst the hail and burning coals. In Psalm 29, verse 3 through 9, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. 
The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. And John, the apostle who saw and heard the revelation of Jesus Christ and penned the last book of the Bible, when he saw Jesus, he said, I saw his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, but he spoke of his voice. He said, but his voice, it was distinct. It was like the sound of many waters. God's voice, God's word is powerful. The Bible says the word of the Lord is sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces into our soul and divides asunder soul and spirit and, and is a discerner of our thoughts and the intents of our heart. The voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord, it's what caused everything to be. So you see this short phrase, Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. This, this verse is packed with powerful truth beginning right there. How can we explain our existence? For you see, if the world and the heavens were just some mistake, some cosmic accident, what does that say about your life? What does that say about the purpose of you being here? You're just an accident. You're just an oops. Is that how you want to view your life? Of course not. Your life has meaning and purpose. It came to be how? At the command of God. If the voice of the Lord causes the deer to give birth, don't you think the voice of the Lord caused your mama to give birth to you? You're here for a purpose. And everybody that says we just are a cosmic accident, they're the most purposeless people in the world and hopeless people. So let's look backwards again at that phrase, that verse. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of the Lord. We looked at the word of God. Let's look at that word framed. Now when we talk about framing something, we talk about taking a beautiful picture, a portrait or something like that, and putting a beautiful decorative frame around it because it just seems to, to bring out that picture, its beauty and its glory. But that's not the meaning of that word here. When it says the worlds were framed by the word of God, that word framed, here in the, in the original language that the New Testament was written in, it means to be perfected, to complete thoroughly. In other words, when God commanded the world into existence, it was perfectly and thoroughly complete. Nothing needed to evolve. You see, if you believe in any way in evolution, what you're saying is God's creation was imperfect. Do you believe that? Wait a minute. Do you believe that? I, I need some help here. Admittedly, when Adam and Eve sinned and brought the curse upon the earth, and then God eventually dispersed mankind and animals over the face of the earth, man and animals had to adapt physically 
to their varying environments. But that cannot be classified as evolution in the sense that it is taught today, which is an outright rejection of God. Physical adaptation is not the same thing as what evolutionists are teaching. You and I believe what the Bible teaches, that the worlds were framed, created complete and perfect at the word of God. Genesis 1, and God saw that it was kind of good. Almost good. Well, it's getting there. Let's keep trying. What is the Bible saying? God saw that it was good. And then that's repeated five times. And then at the end of creation, God saw everything that he had made, and he said, behold, it is very good. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Finished. What does that mean, finished? Complete. I'm done. Over. Thank you, Bob. I needed that help. Always count on Bob. Finished. Over. Done. To have any concept of evolution, what you're saying is that, first of all, God didn't exist. Second of all, God, if he does exist, is a liar. Third of all, what he created wasn't good enough. It had to become better. What do you believe? God says, it's finished. Do you remember that phrase somewhere in the New Testament? Do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross paying for your sin and mine? Stretched, suspended between heaven and earth. The wrath of God all poured out on His Son, Jesus Christ, because of our sin. God taking uh, my sins and placing it on His Son. God pouring out His punishment on, against me on His Son. Accomplishing salvation for us. And what did Jesus say? It is what? Finished. In other words, the work of salvation has been completed, it's done, it's finished, and nor you nor I can add anything to it. Your religious piosity means nothing to God because you did not accomplish your salvation. I do not accomplish my salvation. Jesus accomplished our salvation just like Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father accomplished creation. It is finished. Amen? Amen. Our sins, which are many, yet his mercy is more. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, In the seventh day God ended his work, and he rested. Ended his work, and he rested. When Jesus cried, it is finished, and he gave up his ghost, where did he go? He went to heaven, the Bible says, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Jesus sit down? See, when I go home today, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit down. You know why? Because preaching's finished. I say, I wish I was finished now. No, you don't. You're ready. You're, I can tell you're gung-ho. You're on the edge of your seat. And he rested from all his work which he had done. You see, nothing else needed to happen. Nothing needed to evolve into something better. For it was perfect and it was finished. It was unimprovable. You cannot improve on perfect, can you? I can improve on me because I'm not perfect. 
You can improve on you because you're not perfect. But when when God says it's finished and it's good and it's perfect, then you can't improve on it. So evolution is out the window. I saw this bottled water company commercial several years ago. I can't remember the name of the company. But it said something like this. Nature made water. We just made it better. I vowed I'd never buy that kind of water, but uh, I can't remember who it was now, so <laughs> probably broken that vow. But uh, that's, that's the evolutionist idea. God may have made it. We don't believe God even existed, but even if he did, it still needed to be improved upon. Evolution still needed to happen. Things still needed to progress. And there are such things as Christian evolutionists. There's not, but there are. There are people who are Christians who think, there are people who are evolutionists who think they're Christian, but I beg to differ. You can't believe in any form of evolution and be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because you see the very tenet, remember the very, very basic tenet is that in order to believe that God created everything, you've got to believe that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit self-existed, pre-existed before everything. And if you believe that and you take God at his word and that you believe when he says it is finished in Genesis, you've got to also believe he said it is finished in John on the cross. And if you reject the fact that it's finished in Genesis, you've got to reject the fact that it's finished in John. If he's wrong in Genesis, then he's wrong in John. And you're lost. And you need to be saved. It's as simple as that. If you're an evolutionist, you're lost. According to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to give you some truth, some more truth add to this. It took awesome, unfathomable power to create a perfect heavens and earth. We can't imagine. I'm going to give you some scriptures in rapid fire succession, and I'm going to be just about five minutes over my noon time, so just buckle up and hang on and give me about 10 minutes, or give the Lord about 10 minutes. We're going to dissect Jeremiah 51 15, too. We're still dissecting Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, but we're, we're in the middle of it here. It took awesome, unfathomable power to create a, and complete. A perfect heavens and earth. Jeremiah 51, 15 says, He made the earth by His power. Uh, Solomon prayed this in dedication to the temple, 1 Chronicles 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Job, the Bible says, he is excellent in power. That is, he excels in power. Jeremiah said, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? What's your answer? Is there anything too hard for God? He asks us that question today. Is there anything too hard for the one true God? For example, let me ask this question. Could God make everything that is out of nothing? You heard about the contest the atheist challenged God to. He said, God, I challenge you to contest. We're going to have a man-making contest. God said, all right. One, two, three, go. So the atheist starts piling up a bunch of dirt, and God goes, oh, time out. Make your own dirt. What did God use to create dirt? What's the answer? 
Nothing. What did God use to create light? He had no raw materials. He just spoke it. No raw materials were at his disposal. There was nothing before there was a heavens and earth and light and day and all that. There was nothing. A popular phrase existed centuries ago that still exists today. It's a Latin phrase called ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. Ex, out of nihilo, nothing. Out of nothing. That is supported. That is not... That, scripture, that phrase supports Scripture. For Hebrews 11.3, the rest of it says, By faith we believe, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Here's how the New Living Translation puts it. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command and that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. In other words, God didn't have any raw materials to start with. If I build something, I've got to start with raw materials. I can't just go, okay, uh, I need to build a cabinet. Poof, I need a cabinet. There it is. No, I can't do that. I've got to go cut down a tree that God made. And I've got to use a saw that's made of metal, which came from the earth, which God made. And I've got to use sandpaper that's made from sand that comes from the beach, which God made. And, and I've got to use all these raw materials to put anything together in any shape, form, or fashion to where it's usable and acceptable and necessary. A theologian by the name of G.K. Chesterton, I don't expect him to mean much to you, but he gave thought to this issue related to the evolutionist. In essence, he said that it's absurd for the evolutionist to believe that it is unthinkable that God could make everything out of nothing. He said it's unthinkable. An evolutionist said uh, it's unthinkable that God could make everything out of nothing. But G.K. Chesterton said, yeah, but it's, they then turn around. They're atheists. Let me just say it, they're hypocrites. Let me just say it. I'm going to say it. They're hypocrites. Evolutionists are hypocrites. They say there's no way that there could be a God who, who just existed and that there's no way that that God who just existed could take nothing and turn it into everything. But yet they turn right around and they believe it's more thinkable that nothing should turn into accidentally everything. That there were these two whatevers that banged into each other in outer space and, and all of a sudden all this stuff began to become. And all this nothingness turned into what we see today. I mean, you see how hypocritical their logic is? They reject the God who created everything out of nothing and they believe that's unthinkable, but they still believe what we, what we have today was, came from nothing. But they just reject that it was purposeful. They believe it was a cosmic accident instead of a creator, purposeful God. What do you believe? If you accept the it is finished in the Gospels, as Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. And your sins, though they're many, have been washed whiter than snow, then you don't have a choice. You have accepted all that is. You believe the it is finished in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. 
There's no in-between ground. There's no Christian evolutionist. There's no compromise there. There's no room for compromise. There is only one God, and and that one God, there's only one explanation for, for creation, and we just looked at it from the one source of truth. Now, you either believe that or you don't. What do you believe? Would you bow your heads with me this morning?